1: Talk, Big Opinions, the panel Right, uh, Mark Watson and Andrew Gordy uh, With us this morning Uh, Good morning to you gentlemen Uh, Gordy, we'll start with you on uh, the Black Caps uh, Shall we? Uh, If they lose the second test uh, Do they need to hit the reset button On the way they try to play the game Or what happens?
0: Morning, morning to all the listeners Um yeah, they, they possibly do need to have a go... Of hitting the reset button, I'm not I'm not sure. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps it is, it is time to, to hit the reset button because I think actually what we're seeing here at the moment um, from Brendan McCullum's England team, and I'll be interested to know your thoughts on this, to be honest, Smithy. Are, are we seeing like a, a quantum shift in test cricket here and the way that it's played? Because... It feels to me like there is a concerted effort here to really just throw the Test cricket um, game, I suppose, into overdrive. And perhaps the days of Test match cricket dawdling through to a a dire sort of end on on day five is just sort of, I don't know, perhaps it's going to become a thing of the past with the way they're approaching the game. Um, That sort of slow and steady approach, uh, if you excuse the pun, um, might not be valid anymore. It might not. It might not hold water. I suppose for teams that uh, are hell bent on taking that approach anymore. And yeah, perhaps it is time for a more attacking approach. And, and perhaps the patience of Test cricket could be a thing of the past. So I don't know. Perhaps that's going a wee bit too early. But what is what is abundantly clear, I think, for this Black Caps team is they are short on confidence and they are perhaps short on talent. Um, and certainly short on experience at the highest level of the toughest form of the game.
1: Mark Watson, is it uh, due to player exodus? Uh, we talk here about Trent Bolt, we talk uh, about, uh, of course, Ross Taylor, Kyle Jamieson's unavailability to Grondholm, not with us anymore. Um, is it about that for you or is it an attitudinal thing too?
2: Oh, look, I'll, yeah, I'll just pick up from what Andrew said. I, I think, look, I don't think we'd be good in terms of planning and having succession plans in place. You know, where is the future beyond Southie and Bolt and Kane Williamson and possibly even Tom Latham at the top of the order? You can imagine he's only, what, probably got another two or three seasons left. Um, you know, do we try and play the way England play? I don't know. Do we have the talent? Do we have the plumbing to do that? Do we have the players that have that natural instinct? Now, admittedly, you could look at guys like Joe Root and say, well, would you have considered him to be a player who can play sort of a T20 type style out in test cricket? But he has had the ability to adapt. Look, I think Gary Stead at the top is probably just not the right guy if that is the path we're going to take. I think you've got to have a visionary. I think you've got to have a leader that people will follow and buy into. And I think that's what Brendan McCullum brought off England. But look, I think the bigger issue here is maybe our domestic first class cricket, um, the way that's being run. Where is the talent coming through? Uh, That's the big question. How long do you allow a player... To play at domestic first-class cricket before you maybe ask them to move on and bring the next young guy through, and then it comes down to well, okay, young guys need to play with experienced players and they need to play against experienced players. But you know, look, oh, just changing tack slightly, one of the great frustrations I see with cricket, maybe a lack of depth, is what do we do? What are we doing? What have we ever done to try and tap into the Pacifica and Maori populations in this country? Where are the cricket academies in South Auckland? Why aren't we? what the West Indies are or have been. Where are the Malcolm Marshalls and the Joel Garners? You look at a guy like a Stephen Adams, you look at Valerie Adams, the Pacific Island community, in my opinion, are the best athletes in the world. They are, a, you know, they are big people. There are Stephen Adams walking around South Auckland at the moment that I'm pretty sure if you put a cricket ball in their hand and expose them to it, we could end up having, you know, West Indian equivalents. You know, I went through Man Grammar in the 1980s, a large Polynesian um, student body, I watch kids pick up a cricket ball, pick up up a cricket bat with very little um, understanding of it and just the natural talent that I saw. And it still just amazes me today that the game in New Zealand is still predominantly European.
1: Good point. Uh, Really uh, fascinating point. Uh, My take on it uh, is that um, I I don't think we've got um, the players or the willpower to play test cricket this way at the moment. I I simply don't. I think... Uh, and a player like uh, Conway, I, I think he's he's adaptable. I, I don't think Kane Williamson is. Kane Williamson spent um, his whole career um, trying not to get out and has fashioned a wonderful world-class test record because of that. He's done an extremely good job of preserving his wicket and batting for a long period of time. Um, that is not what uh, the new form of test cricket or the form of test cricket that uh, Brennan McCullum and Ben Stokes has introduced is all about. Um, and then you've got guys right at the moment who... Uh, Uh, horribly out of form, playing for their place in the team, Um, don't feel like taking risks and you can hardly blame them really Um, so at the moment I I don't see that Uh, and all I see is an attitude of, um, you know, this can't continue we'll carry on the same way we're playing um, and um, you know, obviously, you know they're going to have fall in a heap at some stage. I mean, hell, they've only won ten out of eleven. I mean, can't work, can it? <laughs> uh, we, we'll be back. We'll be back in a, uh, in a short space of time, guys. Uh, we've got to have a news break with uh, Aroha, and uh, we'll be back. Um, gee, Ian Foster's in the news again. Shall we talk about him? Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Talk, talk, Mark Watson and Andrew Gordy with us this morning on the panel. Plenty of experience there and uh, plenty of experience with uh, dealing with uh, Ian Foster issues too, Andrew Gordy. Another one has uh, come to the surface uh, as uh, well as late as this morning really um, with an interview in which he has stated that uh, the timeline for the next coach is unnecessary. Urges New Zealand rugby to focus on the needs of the team. Uh, Well, I would have thought the needs of the team are getting the right coach. But having said that, uh, do you agree with him?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. This isn't it. Uh, I think it's a really interesting approach from Ian Foster. Um, and I don't, i don't know if it was his idea or, or someone else suggested to him, but this—he's—he's he's done a very targeted approach here, hasn't he? He's done a, a written article with the Herald uh, with Gregor Paul yesterday, and he's gone on, obviously, News Talk ZB Radio this morning. Um, this is, yeah, this is clearly designed to uh, take a shot at New Zealand rugby. Um, and, and I get it from his point of view. He has made some interesting comments, though, that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, And that's because Ian Foster and New Zealand Rugby are are approaching this from two very different points of view. Ian Foster, his pure focus is the All Blacks right now and leading up to the World Cup. New Zealand Rugby doesn't necessarily have that luxury. And look, I think most people would agree with the, the concept that Yes, Ian Foster, it is highly unlikely that he will be the All Blacks coach post the World Cup. And look, my personal opinion, which you know doesn't really count for anything in the, in the grand scheme of things, but I think this is professional sport and I don't think there's anything wrong with New Zealand rugby uh, sticking with exactly what they've said, which is um, we back Ian Foster and this coaching team for this World Cup cycle, but I also think there's nothing wrong with saying at the end of that cycle we are committed to going into it in a different direction. That's their prerogative. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think it is terribly unsettling. I, I struggle to buy into the concept that it is hugely unsettling for this group of players to know that there's going to be a new coach after the next World Cup. What, why is that unsettling? I mean, this, they are also operating in a professional sporting environment. And so you, they probably know, like Ian Foster, that there is going to be another coach coming after the World Cup. So I, I don't know. I, I find it really hard to hard to agree with him, but I do have some sympathy for his position and his plight at the moment because he is, like I say, purely focused on this All Blacks team and, and having them in the best mindset possible for a Rugby World Cup. But look if the players know that Ian is going to be the coach up until the Rugby World Cup and then there'll be a change after that, then that gives them certainty and, and confidence moving forward into this cycle.
1: Where do you sit with it, Mark?
2: Yeah, fascinating one. Look, Ian Foster is really, really concerned about the All Blacks winning the World Cup. He would have resigned six months ago because we're not going to win the World Cup with Ian Foster. I'm adamant about that. I just don't believe he's the right guy. Um, I haven't seen any evolution in his game plan. We're starting to see some of it, but that's more because of some of the people that we finally brought in. I think if he had it his way, I think we would have been staring at some pretty pretty average, uh, even worse results than what we've seen in recent times. Look, um, Ian Foster, I mean, he's human, isn't he? Um, he, you know, this must be incredibly tough for him, but I'm with Andrew on this one. I don't think that this is really particularly a big distraction. It's a big distraction. Ian Foster wants to make, wants to create the perception that it's a big distraction because I think it then gives him another out if, in fact, the All Blacks don't win this World Cup and he can sort of start pointing the finger at the administration and not getting the support. But I think actually that's what really is highlighted in this, just how much um, animosity or just how much the relationship has actually broken down between New Zealand Mark Robertson and Ian Foster, the all-black coach. And I'm not sure that I've seen that uh, for a long time in New Zealand rugby where there's such discord between you know, our head coach and the governing body, uh, which says to me they don't genuinely actually support him either. Um, but what's actually got to happen from New Zealand rugby, we've actually got to you know, have some leadership, come out, be decisive, tell us when this process is going to happen, next All black coaches, and let's move on. Um, you know, what is Scott Robertson thinking? Is he sitting back? Is he wondering if back he has got the job? We're all sitting here. Um, it's all just speculation. It's all just a lot of innuendo at the moment. And look, it's just not a good thing for rugby.
1: It's a terrible thing for rugby. Um... Uh, and it's just endless it's absolutely endless and it's, it's, it's becoming nauseating actually the subject to be perfectly honest but it continues to get the headlines. Uh, here's a good one for you too Mark Watson because I, I know you're a huge fan of the Olympic Games, the athletics within of course New Zealand and 33 other nations seek uh, clarification of uh, neutrality, this term neutrality before allowing Russian and Belarusian athletes back in
2: yeah, because, I mean, it's been a bit of a farce, hasn't it? They um, compete under this uh, neutral flag and I think what they call it, ROC or something, don't they? I always struggled as a commentator over there trying to work out what it actually all meant. But really it is. It's just it's just another way of allowing Russian athletes to compete and, and the IOC clipping the ticket of their Russian influence, which clearly does exist. I mean, if there wasn't something in it for the IOC... Uh, I don't think they'd have any hesitation banning both Russia and Belarusia, Um, the Belarusians. but there clearly um, must be a few envelopes being passed underneath the table with the IOC that for some reason they still believe it's in the best interest of the Olympics to allow these two nations to compete, even though there are a number of nations calling for a bit of a boycott. Uh, but look, I mean, I do find a lot of it a little hypocritical, I've said it before, I mean, you, you can look at America's foreign policy historically. They hide behind Western civilization and justify all of their wars. It's all in the best interest of the United States. Some argue that, hey, Russia are just doing what they believe in the best interest of Russia. You have a look at the human rights issue in China. So where does it all stop? And um, you know, it's it's much broader, it's a much wider debate, but clearly those living in Europe at the moment, those in that Eastern Bloc, those in countries like Poland and stuff, see things very much, very differently, perhaps the way I see things. And so, look, um, yeah, you're either all in or you're all out. I don't think there's room for neutrality. Either Russia's part of it or Russia's not part of it, and there shouldn't be any sort of, um, yeah, there shouldn't be sort of any, um, what's the word, um, um, ambiguity in and around that.
1: Well, no, it's such a big issue. You're dead right. I mean, it's such a massive issue. In fact, um, Andrew Gordy, that there should not be any ambiguity about it. It should be clear cut.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And and uh, it, look, it, I'm not saying there's an easy answer to this by any means, but I just find it a little bit interesting that New Zealand's, you know, New Zealand was one of the nations that signed. Uh, an international agreement with, with a number of other nations um, essentially refusing to support Russian athletes and then yeah, we, we had them come here for, for for the ASB Classic so I just don't even really know what what that means, what that actually stands for but I mean look I, I have some sympathy for Russian athletes, I mean this, this is not a situation that they control right, this is not, and, and I'm sure for a lot of them it's not a situation they want but there has to be a punishment, doesn't there, for for the way that their nation is behaving? Um, is it fair to take that out on the athletes? I'm not sure, and that's you know that's why this is such a difficult uh, a, d- a difficult issue to, to settle on on the on what's correct, I suppose. Um, because yes, by by banning Russian and Belarusian athletes, it, it, it hurts those those nations, but but it also really hurts the athletes, and and is that fair? Um, so yeah, I can kind of see both sides of the coin, to be honest.
1: You're going to lose any sleep, gourds over Danny Lee going to LIV? Live golf? No, I'm not going to.
0: I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I do think it's it's really interesting though, and I'm and I'm glad it's uh, you know on the topics to discuss today. Um, I saw a really good point of view um, raised yesterday, which is that you know people people might be up in arms, and I to be fair, I haven't actually seen a lot of it, but people might be up in arms about Danny Lee. Uh, joining the live golf circuit but no one was upset about Lydia Ko winning the Saudi ladies uh, international um, over the weekend were they and it's really it's it's the same thing isn't it but, but not really that different and look if I'm looking at, at it from Danny Lee's point of view he is exactly the kind of player that live golf would be targeting in all of this you know Danny Lee is he's he's a, a professional golfer he's a, he's toiling on the PGA so he is not the kind of player that's going to win a as a US Open. He's, he's, he's not going to be in, in the mix for those sorts of titles. Um, and so if he's going to be toiling on, on a tour, it may as well be one where he's going to be earning a whole lot more money. So I can completely understand why he's made the move. But equally, I think at some point, um, he's going to face questions about his decision and he should be prepared for, the, uh, for answers.
1: Just finally, for you, Mark Watson, I'm just going to read you a scoreline and just uh, get your immediate reaction. Oh, yeah, don't, uh, don't, Ray- don't, 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 don't. Real, Real Madrid 5, Liverpool 2. No, surely not.
2: Stuff. Yeah, yeah, we were 2 0 up after 14 minutes and we've conceded 5 goals and we continue to leak goals, don't we? And um, yeah, I'm just not sure what the answers are. It's just been a disastrous season for Liverpool. Be careful what you wish for. I just think it's the hangover from making all four finals last year and playing every single game and just never fully recovering from it and taking players a season too far that perhaps need to move on and hopefully there's some lessons learnt in it. But, yeah, I can't imagine um, them being able to find three goals away when they have to play Real Madrid in a couple of weeks. And It's just yeah. a good thing that my second favourite team, Spurs, are going OK.
1: Yeah, good on you, boy. Good on you, finishing on a positive note there. Uh, Mark Watson and Andrew Gordy have been our guests this morning. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you very much for those considered opinions. Uh, We shall have uh, another panel tomorrow.